Good morning, y'all. My name is Matthew. As a church family, we celebrate that in the kingdom of heaven, every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather to worship. As a way to foretaste the multicultural glory of God's kingdom, this morning I will be reading the scriptures in Spanish. Today's reading comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 13 through 14. Please follow along in your own Bibles or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 58, starting with verse 13. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. Parents and guardians of children in nursery through preschool and third through fifth grade, you are invited to escort your kids to the back of the room to join Kids Commons upstairs, if you so desire. As you're able, we invite you to stand for the, he- for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Guarden como santo el día de descanso, y en ese día no se ocupen de sus propios intereses, sino disfruten del día de descanso, y hablen del día con delicia, por ser el día santo del Señor. Honren el día de descanso en todo lo que hagan ese día, y no sigan sus propios deseos, ni hablen palabras inútiles. Entonces, el Señor será su delicia. Yo les daré gran honor, y los saciaré con la herencia que prometí a su antepasado Jacob. Yo, el Señor, he hablado. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Katie, and I'm on the preaching team here at Haverhill Commons. It's great to be here with all of you this morning. But before we jump into our passage, I want to take a moment to stop, to take some inventory about how you're feeling and what you're carrying with you. And as we stop, I invite you to let it go so that you can be present in this space and in this time we have together. After a minute of silence, I'll pray, and we can jump in together. God, we thank you for this time to be together worshiping you. We thank you for this Sabbath day and pray that you would help us to draw closer to you as we continue to explore what it means to rest. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So when was the last time that you felt delighted? For me, it was this past Monday. I had the day off from work. Thank you, President's Day. But I still spent the day working on other things like getting groceries, cleaning my apartment, various school assignments. And in particular, those school assignments were still on my mind Monday evening as I went over to a friend's house for our standing weekly dinner and viewing of Pastor Matt's all-time favorite show, The Bachelor. (laughs) Just kidding, he does not like The Bachelor, but I love it. (laughs) And the whole time I was getting ready to go, I couldn't help but think, maybe this is a bad idea tonight. I have so much to do, maybe I should have said no to dinner and just go later for the show, or maybe I just shouldn't go at all. I ended up compromising with myself and brought my computer with me, thinking maybe I could get some work done while we watched. Famous last words, right? (laughs) Well, I sat on their couch with my laptop next to me and never touched it. Instead, I stopped working for just a few hours and spent the evening filled with delight because of intentional time with some of my closest friends. Time spent laughing, connecting, sharing life together. 
time spent savoring a meal that they took time to prepare and wanted to share with me. Time spent delighting in each other's company. So Ross Gay is a poet and author who wrote a book of short essays called The Book of Delights. And in this book, he spent a year from one birthday to the next writing short essays about things in his daily life that delighted him. He wrote about anything from a handmade scarf to a flower growing in the curb to the feeling of giving someone a nickname or getting a high five from a stranger. He wrote about music and mushrooms fireflies, the winter equinox. And in several interviews he did about writing the book, Ross describes the process of finding delight as if it were a muscle that you can exercise and strengthen. When he initially began writing, he said he was prepared for a kind of scarcity of delight, to need to be scouring his life for delight to write about. And yet, he found that the more he took the time to notice things that delighted him, he was surprised to find that it became easier and easier to identify delightful moments. So right now, we're in a sermon series that we kicked off last week called The Rest Distance. I have a hard time saying that. Rest Distance. <laughs> Reclaiming the Rhythm of Rest. And in this series, we're examining different aspects of what it really means to Sabbath. To cease from our work and rest, just as God himself did on the seventh day of creation. And today, I'm delighted to get to consider together with you what it looks like to delight in Sabbathing. Because resting on the Sabbath isn't supposed to be a burden. It's not a religious duty or something we should do to try to look like a good Christian. It's not about spiritual posturing. It's an invitation from God to delight in resting, to gain pleasure from it. So when was the last time you felt truly delighted about something? truly satisfied and happy? That's not always an easy question to answer, is it? Especially when our lives are full of stress from the daily grind or from the constant barrage of terrible things going on in the world around us. We're regularly reminded of all the things we should be doing, the ways we should be working harder, of the ways the world isn't as it should be. And honestly, who has time to be delighted in the midst of all of that? And when you do actually have an opportunity to stop working, the first thing we feel isn't always delight. Oftentimes, like I felt on Monday, our initial feeling is guilt that we're not doing what we or other people think we should be doing. And even when we do start to feel delighted, how often do we catch ourselves dreading work the next day, ruining our current delight? Or we've worked so hard and so long without stopping, like Matt mentioned last week, that we crash. And we're so exhausted that all we want to do is indulge and numb ourselves from feeling anything at all, much less delight. Or we stop and that unresolved conflict or relational tension or loss and grief we've been trying to avoid and distract ourselves from comes bubbling up to the surface, threatening to overwhelm us in loneliness or despair. When we stop, there are no buffers to keep us from dealing with our pain and sorrow. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very delightful to me. Yet we heard in the passage that Matthew read for us this morning that if we honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, the Lord will be our delight. But what exactly does that mean, and how do we get there? Our text today comes from the book of Isaiah, 
and Isaiah was a prophet addressing the Israelites during their time of exile in Babylon. This period of exile came about in large part because of the unfaithfulness of the Israelites. So let's put the exile into some historical context. Hundreds of years before the exile, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, and God delivered them from slavery through the efforts of Moses and his brother Aaron. This is when God gave the people instructions on how to live as a godly society, instructions that included the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment was to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. After God freed them from slavery in Egypt, he led them toward the promised land, a place they could live in peace as God's people. But they chose instead to turn away from God and set up idols and disobeyed God's commandments. And after several hundred years of the Israelites continuing to turn away from God, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the city, and brought the Israelites out of the promised land to live in Babylon. And it's during their time living in Babylon that Isaiah writes his prophecy about God's plan for redemption for the Israelites, the book of Isaiah. And our passage today from Isaiah chapter 58 is part of that plan. In the first five verses of the chapter, we see God outline how the Israelites have been doing Sabbath rest incorrectly. He says, On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Now we see in these verses that the Israelites are trying to find delight in how other people will perceive them in how they keep the Sabbath. They're trying to earn feelings of pleasure, pride, and accomplishment from others, including God, so that others think, wow, look at how holy they are. They're trying to forget about their troubles in pursuit of external praise. And in their attempts to gain this external praise, they end up exploiting those around them with all of their so-called religious activity. So not only are they not really resting themselves because they're trying to earn praise, but they're also not allowing others to rest in the way that God invites them to, which is a trap that we can fall into as well. I think it's easy for us to hear that we should keep the Sabbath, and just like the Israelites begin to put restrictions and rules around how we think the Sabbath should be kept, to begin to put pressure on ourselves to look as if we're being holy in our Sabbath rather than actually being holy, to do whatever we want or to consume as much as we want because we want to treat ourselves while inadvertently exploiting others so that we can consume more. The rest of chapter 58 shows us that in reality, the kind of Sabbath we are invited into is a Sabbath that doesn't depend on what other people think or on whether or not we're earning the approval of others. It's not supposed to be another thing that we need to work at, another thing to strive for by actively attempting to gain a feeling from other people. It's not a day to feel things alone. The Sabbath is an opportunity to sit as we are feeling what we feel, delighting in communion with God and with others. It's an invitation to rest well by stepping out of the systems that we constantly participate in, whether we know it or not. An invitation to stop participating in the unjust systems of our world that never take a break. 
to stop and notice the ways that we have been out of sync with God and begin to align ourselves with his will again. And finally, in verses 13 and 14 of our passage, God describes to the Israelites and to us what happens when we do observe the Sabbath correctly. He says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, when God tells us in these verses to not pursue our own interests, God isn't telling us to sit at home all day and stop having fun. He tells us in the very same breath to enjoy the Sabbath. The actual Hebrew phrase translated in our version here as not pursuing your own interests literally translates to turn away your foot from your own pleasure. It's a visual representation of what God is trying to communicate about the Sabbath. For the other six days out of the week, our feet face in the same direction, pursuing our work and our achievements and our tasks. We spend six days striving to build, to achieve, and to create. Ideally, we're working to help establish God's kingdom on earth. But on the Sabbath, we're meant to stop to cease from all that work and intentionally turn our feet around and reorient ourselves to the interests of God, to point our feet towards delighting the way that God delights, enjoying things that provide relief, rest, and refreshment, both for ourselves and for others, not because our interests or the things we find pleasure in are always bad, but because what God has for us is more than we could ever ask or imagine. Sabbath is a gift from God to us as he gives us permission to cease doing the things we think are necessary and instead embrace the things that are truly life-giving. Because doing as we please and going our own way is often what leads us to participate in some of the unhelpful Sabbath practices we mentioned earlier, like crashing and indulging and numbing, However, true joy and delight in the Sabbath comes only from obeying and pursuing God's interests for for us, from ceasing our normal activity so that we can embrace something better, something we can truly delight in. We even see this in the way that Jesus observed the Sabbath. While the Pharisees had established all kinds of man-made laws concerning the Sabbath in order to control the activities of those around them, Jesus often broke those man-made laws in pursuit of helping others to embrace abundant life. Instead of ignoring those in need around him, he acted on behalf of others to heal them, feed them, provide them with water, and teach them about who he was. Isaiah also says that we should speak of the Sabbath with delight, honoring it and keeping it holy. But how do we do that when we don't feel delighted? Now, this, I think, is where we can learn from Ross Gay and his encouragement to practice delight. It's easy to feel guilty about letting ourselves get to the point of crashing, of being too tired, too overwhelmed, or to beat ourselves up when we do indulge rather than finding a way to meaningfully rest, or to fear that in stopping we won't be able to achieve what we think we need. But just like any other practice, any other muscle that you need to exercise, 
you won't always do it perfectly from the start. So what if instead of putting pressure on ourselves to Sabbath perfectly, we simply allowed our time of Sabbath to be what it is, to let ourselves feel whatever feelings surface when we take the time to actually stop and rest, even if those feelings are feelings of grief or guilt or inadequacy or loneliness. Now, in the winter of 2018, I started seeing a counselor, and it was one of the best things I've ever done. If you're familiar with the Enneagram at all, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, and one of the downfalls of being a nine is that I'm not always able to identify how I'm feeling about a situation in the moment, in large part because for much of my life, I was praised for being a quiet, well-behaved kid. So I internalized various messages that communicated to me that I shouldn't be heard and that my feelings were not important. So I stuffed them down tried my best to avoid them at all costs, and I stopped sharing them, even with myself. Until my counselor talked me through the importance of allowing myself to feel my feelings, not so that they control me, but to name them so that I can understand where they're coming from and let them be what they are, until I can either release them or decide if I need to do something about them. Sounds helpful, right? Except that when I actually did take the time to stop and consider how I was feeling, almost 28 years of pent-up feelings and resentments and hurts and frustrations all came crashing over me like a tsunami. Which I think is similar to what can happen to us when we're not used to practicing a Sabbath. Especially if we've kept ourselves busy to avoid something or to try to feel better about ourselves through achieving or if our version of rest is to numb our feelings. And while getting through that initial flood of emotions was pretty overwhelming, taking the time to work through them eventually helped me feel less burdened by the weight of it all. Now, if you've ever seen the Pixar movie Inside Out, I think it can help us appreciate the value in allowing ourselves to feel what we feel when we stop long enough to feel it. If you haven't seen the movie, it's about a 12-year-old girl named Riley whose family moves from Minnesota to San Francisco. And the movie lets us inside her mind, as personified versions of her emotions try to navigate this huge change in her life. Specifically, we see joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. For all of Riley's life, joy has been her main emotion. All of Riley's core memories are defined by joy, and joy does everything she can to keep things positive in light of this big move. Naturally, though, Riley's other emotions begin to take over a little bit more in the wake of the move, namely sadness. And when sadness accidentally infuses some of Riley's core memories with sadness, joy and sadness embark on a journey to restore joy to Riley's mind. And for most of the movie, Joy does everything she can to keep sadness from touching anything or making any decisions or having any say in anything. If it were up to Joy, sadness wouldn't even exist. And yet, throughout their journey, Joy takes a look back on one of Riley's core memories, a time when she felt celebrated by her family and her hockey team back in Minnesota. And as Joy zooms out and is able to see the context of what led to Riley feeling joy in that particular moment, she realizes that it's because Riley was feeling sad about missing a shot in the hockey game, causing the team to lose, and she allowed her friends and family to see her sadness. 
So they had an opportunity to comfort her and remind her that her value to them is not based on making a single shot in a hockey game, but on who she is to them as their friend and daughter. Joy realizes that sometimes experiencing sadness is necessary for us to experience the fullness of life. That even in the joy, there is some sadness, and in the sadness, some joy. We don't need to push through the sadness to get to joy. Instead, we need to sit with sadness and see what it has to offer. And I think sometimes dealing with and feeling the hard feelings can help aid us on our journey to find delight. Because maybe, as we begin to sit in the Lord's presence with our feelings, whatever they might be, and allow ourselves to notice a delight here and a delight there, our delight muscle will grow and strengthen until we see the delight all around us. Which doesn't mean that sadness will disappear completely. But I think practicing delight will help us to weather our hard feelings, rather than continuing to avoid or numb them. J.R.R. Tolkien actually describes something similar in the first book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Fellowship of the Ring. The hobbits and Strider, their guide, have undertaken a dangerous journey from the hobbits' homeland of the Shire and finally make it to Rivendell, the land of the elves. And in Rivendell, they take some time to rest from the journey before venturing out again on an even more dangerous trek. He says, for a while, the hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journey and of the perils that lay ahead. But such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and in every word and song. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and in every word and song. Now that, I think, is the perfect picture of what it means to delight in the Sabbath. Not to forget or avoid or numb from our past or our future, but to allow ourselves to delight in the presence of God and take pleasure in the gifts he has given us. So what does practicing this delight in the Sabbath actually feel like? I think it can feel a lot of different ways. Maybe if you're someone who's prone to beat yourself up for feeling too exhausted to really appreciate the Sabbath, allow yourself to release your guilt and turn it into delight, saying, I'm grateful that a day of rest came when I was exhausted and really needed it. Or if you're someone who gets frustrated when the time you set aside to rest doesn't look like you thought it would, maybe because of an unexpected conversation that took more time than you thought, or a neighbor needed help with something that you weren't anticipating. Instead of dwelling in your frustration, notice it for what it is, and then allow yourself to feel grateful for unexpected time with someone. Or if you don't even know where to start with what to do during a Sabbath, start by doing something you love just because you love it. Not something you normally do because you have to or because you ought to. And if you're not sure whether or not something falls into that category and if it's okay to do on the Sabbath, ask yourself, is it necessary? Do I feel obligated to do it? 
If the answer to those questions is yes, then as long as it doesn't harm those around you, don't do that thing on the Sabbath. But if the thing that you want to do isn't necessary or isn't something that you feel obligated to do, and especially if it's something that makes you feel alive, whether that's reading a good book outside in the sunshine, building something from scratch with your bare hands, spending intentional time with a friend or family member or neighbor, whatever feels to you like it would allow you to delight in the abundant life offered to us by God, do more of that on the Sabbath. I don't think we need to be legalistic about it. There's grace for the necessary things that come up and interrupt our Sabbath, or for doing something that you think will delight you, only to find out it didn't really. The goal isn't to practice the Sabbath perfectly every time and always feel delighted about how it went. The goal is to try to honor the Sabbath in response to God's faithfulness to us, to create regular rhythms of Sabbath rest, to enjoy the Sabbath as much as we can by turning away from our desire to accomplish more and turning towards God and his desire for us to delight in him. Because the more we practice this regular rhythm of rest, even during hard seasons or in the midst of hard feelings, the more we'll begin to notice the true delight offered to us by God.